If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, then come study with me. You can join our classes in New York City or live online from anywhere in the world. And you can also work with us one-on-one in our ProTrack mentorship program where we will pair you with a professional writer who will mentor you through every phase of your career, reading every page that you write. It's a really amazing program. So if you'd like to learn more about it, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. For an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. I'm here today with a special guest, Ramphis Myrtle. Ramphis is our newest teacher here at the studio, and he's going to be teaching a topic that we've always wanted to share. Ramphis is an incredibly talented, independent film producer. He's going to be teaching a class on October 19th, a one-day seminar called Produce Your Script, about how to produce your own work, but also how to attach stars and money and all those important things that we need to do. Um, When I was coming up, we did everything on film. So if you weren't super wealthy and super connected, it was just impossible. But today, people are making movies on iPhones. People are making web series on iPhone. You can do this stuff with so little money. It's so easy. And it's kind of, it used to be the great dream was like everyone wanted to write a novel. You know, now the great dream is everyone wants to make a movie. And the truth is you can make a movie, but you have to have a plan because otherwise your movie or your series or your short or your pilot is just going to get lost in the chaos. Mm -hmm. And it's really about having the plan for everything, the business plan that's going to take this thing that's a dream and turn it into a reality. Mm -hmm. And so Ramphis has produced a ton of stuff. He's recently got back from speaking at Cannes. He's had films at Sundance, Tribeca, and he's an all-around badass guy. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit about how do you start in self-production? You've written a script. You know the script is great. You've done all the work. You've gotten the professional feedback. You know that the thing is actually ready to go. What do you do? What's the first step, Ramphis? Well, the most important thing, by the way, thank you for the very kind words and support. The most important thing is obviously the screenplay. So your screenplay is ready to rock and roll. The second most important thing I always advocate for is having a great team. So it's building a team of producers or production company and a director. You know, if you are the writer director, then that's filled. But if you're strictly the writer, it's finding a director that makes sense to warrant the stars that you want to go after if you're going after stars and also to warrant the financing, you know, depending on the budget level that you're looking to make the film for and also to warrant the distribution. That's the end goal. That's the most important thing is setting that up, whether it's theatrical or it's straight to VOD or it's one of the streaming platforms. But the key ingredient is the team. If you, if you, have, you could have a great script, but if you don't have the proper people behind it, how are you going to execute? How are you going to get the stars? 
people that communicate well and that follow through. For a lot of new screenwriters or even experienced screenwriters, there's like a lot of terror that goes around with the idea of production, right? And there's a lot of terror that goes around with the idea of networking. And I know a lot of our students who have fabulous scripts are, are asking themselves, what do I do? You know, should I be trying to get an agent? Should I be shopping this to producers? Should I be trying to raise money myself? Should I be trying to get attachments? Or should I just keep my head down on my laptop and hope I get lucky? Like, um, how does a writer who's never produced before, how do you make that decision about whether this is something that you should do yourself? And how do you know if you even have the skills to do it if you're brand new to this? Well, I, I think if you're a writer director and that's the plan is to make this movie or this project that you're looking at is first to make sure that you have a reel to show something that you can show people because that's what everyone's going to ask. You know, like if you're going after a star, their reps or their team or even them, they're going to want to know that you have the chops. Like, what is your bandwidth? Like, do you have success? And if you don't have the success, why did you not have the success? So these are important and key questions. And the same reason why a backer would want to back the project is, wait a second, if you're directing it, what have you done before? So I believe if you're looking to direct it, you have to have some body of work, whether it's a short or several short films or real, you have to be able to show something in terms of that. Now, if you're strictly a writer and you're looking for a director, then it's a different conversation. You'd still need a director that has those credentials for it to make sense. Film is sexy. People want to do movies at the end of the day. It's not hard finding someone that will compliment in terms of what's on paper. What it really comes down to is, you know, personality because it's a marriage in a sense. If you bring someone to direct your piece, it's someone that you will be working with forever in a sense because you go to pre-production, you develop pre-production, you go through production, post-production, then the film does maybe a festival run and it gets picked up and it's out there in the world forever and there are certain responsibilities that have to happen afterwards. So it's a marriage. So can you stand this person? Can you be in the same room with them for hours? Can you listen to them? Does their voice annoy you? Like all these things got to run through your head and if you feel that it's a good fit for you and vice versa for them, then you know you have a partner. And obviously, you want to make sure that they know what they're doing, they're honest, there's a sense of integrity, that they're not going to just drop your project for the next project that comes. Like There'll be someone that's committed because even as a director, they are doing producing duties in a sense. They will have to meet with the talent. The talent's going to want to meet with them if you're going after talent. And even if you're not going after talent, you still have to meet and talk to the actors and so your vision. So there is a high level of responsibility there in order to make that happen. So if I want to find a director, let's say, because I think of all the fears that come up, right? I'm a nobody screenwriter, you know? Yeah, I've got a great script, but I, I don't know anybody in the industry and I've got $6 to my name and, you know, I don't have connections. I don't have a resume. I don't have a reel. I just have this thing that I've been working on for six years that I know is really ready to go. And maybe I go, I go to some festivals, I look at young directors, or there are directors that are out there working that I dream of working with. How do I approach them? Do I actually have a shot of getting somebody like that attached? 
You know, um, I really like that question. That's a great question, Jacob. I was at Tribeca and the opening day while we're there, Mira Nair comes on board and comes to the stage to share. And she says, everyone that's here, you all bring something to the table. That's why you're here. What you've created, you have the power to. So no matter what, if it's a distributor or a financier or whoever, you know, at the end of the day, you have the power. And I think... Not that I think, I know as a screenwriter, this is the first step. This is the person that's creating the recipe. So you ultimately have the initial power to be able to put the package together in terms of the director. Do you want to give your power away? You know, so I think it's about how you have the conversation with that person. It's important to come from a place of power. Everybody was a nobody at some point and you have to start somewhere and, and, and people get that. And sometimes you have to remind them of that and they'll respect that. So I think if you have no connections or anything, because that's how I started, I didn't know anybody in the business and I just made it my business to become a student. So I did a lot of reading, you know, reading the trades, uh, reading Deadline, reading Hollywood Reporter, the variety on IMDb Pro and knowing what people are looking for. So for example, what I used to do, and I still do now, is that anytime at a major festival or festival period, I'll do my research on who's gonna be there, the films that are playing, who's the writer, who's the director, who are the producers, and then if there's something that sticks out, I'm like, oh, this person would be interesting. I dig deeper and look into more about them, and I want to find out what kind of stories they're looking to make, and if it, aligns with what I'm looking to do, that's the icebreaker. So I'll give you a real life scenario where I went to a small film festival in the Bay called the Sonoma Film Festival a few years back. I feel like I was the only person that did this, but I feel everyone should be doing this. So everyone listening, please do this and bear this in mind. I researched every single film I've researched every single judge, their background, what they've made, what their interest is. And there was one agent in specific. I listened to a podcast he had done years ago. And I wasn't able to find a lot on her. And I had an idea of what she looked like. It was, it's always important to know what the person looks like. A lot of times they don't look like what they look like in the picture. But that way you can find them. So long story short, it's the last day of the festival and I've been looking for this woman. I've been asking about her and no one really knows she's even there. You know, she's listed as a judge, but a lot of times I feel as filmmakers, we just think about the creative, but this was the business side of me thinking. So I think I recognize the woman and I'm looking at her, you know, under this like canopy. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were such and such. And she's like, wait a second, I am such and such, who are you? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a filmmaker, I have a film at the festival, and you know, I read up about you. She's like, what did you read? And now she's like telling her friends, like, wait, this guy like researched me and everything. And I'm telling her about the podcast. She's like, oh my God, you listen to this bloody thing? This thing was like horrible. I did that years ago when I first became an agent. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I listened to the entire thing and I, you know, I was referencing 
points. It's like, oh my God. Well, listen, you know, if you're ever in LA, come down over to UTA, which is United Talent Agency. So it's one of the big ones. And this agent happened to be an agent that represents financing, particularly for her clients. And she looks for writer directors. Now, I wasn't looking to be repped as a writer or a writer director or a director, but that's how we created a relationship. And then from that point on, I had an open door policy with her. I was able to bring anything to her that she'll take a look at. And she's actually brought things to me. And that's how we started our relationship. No one else knew she even existed. And it was just, again, doing the research and showing up. Showing up is half the battle. I know your heart might be beating like really hard and nervous, but that person was in your shoes at one point in time. And feel free to even say, you know, I feel a little nervous, but I really wanted to meet you. They'll respect that. Because we all started from somewhere. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that these people are just people. You know, it's funny, I was on this panel, and oftentimes you're on industry panels, you know, they want to kind of create the feeling of how important they are, you know, and how hard this is. And so I'm on this panel, and somebody raises his hand and says, you know, if you don't know anyone in Hollywood, but you're a great writer, and this is your passion, do you even have a chance, or is it all nepotism? And this kind of nasty panelist (laughs) says, it's all nepotism. I wish I could say it was a meritocracy, but it's not. It's about who you know, and if you don't know the right people, you don't have a shot. All the panelists kind of looked at each other like, is that really true? Do we actually believe that? And (laughs) finally, I just turned to the panelists and I said, who had connections when they came to Hollywood? And nobody raised their hand. And the truth is, every single person on that panel, everyone was usually successful, had absolutely no connections when they started. But what they had was this driving need to do this, no matter how freaking scared they were. And the truth of the matter is, people are people. If you treat people with respect, but also with interest, and I think that's so interesting about what you're saying, is like, most people don't do their work, right? Most people just show up and they want something from somebody else. But actually taking the interest to do the research on the people who are there and really know, I don't want to talk to every agent or any agent. I want to talk to this one agent that I'm particularly interested in. I don't want to talk to any director. I want to talk to this director who made this movie that I think is freaking awesome. I think that that's really exciting. We do a lot of partnership with a festival called ITV Fest, which is now called Catalyst. And big festivals are awesome you know, Sundance, Cannes, all these great places that you go. But I love that you're also bringing up these smaller festivals because, you know, what we loved about working with ITV Fest was that there's no VIP section in Vermont. And a lot of major people were there. In fact, one of my students, General Lorenzo, bumped into Bobby Farrelly singing karaoke and he ended up producing her movie. And you should target the big festivals because everybody's there. But you can also target these smaller festivals, especially if the right people are going, the people who might be interested in you. But even at a big festival like Sundance, almost always the director is there after their film. And if you go up and talk to them, if you actually like their work, and and don't go talk to them if you don't, even if they won the Palme (laughs) d'Or, don't go talk to them if you don't like their work. But if you like their work, oftentimes they're shockingly open. And so I'm wondering, let's pretend I'm a director. You, you're at the, you know, Des Moines, Iowa Film Festival, or you're at Sundance or whatever. You've done your research. You know I'm there. You know you're interested in my work. You've seen my movie. You like it. And 
we've through the question and answer and I'm standing around and people are wanting to talk to me. How do you do that in a way that you don't come off as pushy or obnoxious? Like, how would you approach me if I was that director? I'd say, hello, director. Such a pleasure to meet you. I love the movie. It is so great. And this is why I thought it was great. Boom, boom, boom. And I found this really interesting. Wow, you have such a vision. It'd be an honor to work with you, you know, and you'd probably say, yeah, it'd be great. Something like that. Something. And hey, is there a way that I can send you something? And I have actually have a project that's in the works and I think it'd be interesting and boom, log line. This is what it's about. Boom, 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 boom. And has this element or I haven't brought it anywhere, but I've been waiting for this moment because you're the perfect candidate, you know, for this project. I think it would be a good fit. And then they'll usually say a few things. They'll say, OK, all right, great. Uh, that sounds awesome. Here's my card. Or, you know, do you have a card? Or they'll say the Hollywood thing. Go to my reps if, you know, if they have representation. Or they can just say, hey, I'm busy on another project that's going right into production. Let's circle back later. Those would be probably the responses that you can get. And then I think it's kind of key to try to get some type of contact. Even if you give your information, the reality of it is that they'll be overwhelmed. And a lot of people don't follow up in this business. So I think it would be good just to get at least an email, you know, to follow up with them. That's what I would ask for. And I want to say that I've done that a million times where I've been at a festival and I met someone that I really liked their work and said, hey, I'd love to collaborate with you. I don't know on what maybe, or if I have something specific, I'll tell them on what specific. And a lot of the times they'll just give their information over, but I keep it short and sweet. I don't do overkill because I think overkill can hurt if you're talking to them for like 10 minutes, you know, then there's other people that may want to talk to them or their team or they want to leave, but I keep it short and sweet to entice them and then go in for the close pretty much. And and, and that's what they're there for. They want to meet other filmmakers to possibly collaborate with at, in some capacity. So I love how, how you said that. And, and I want to point out 10 minutes, right? A lot of people think 10 minutes is short. 10 minutes is an eternity. And that's one, one of the reasons it's so important to really work your pitch. I know you're going to be doing a lot of work with pitches in your class, mm-hmm. you know, but I always used to practice my pitches. I used to go to Sports Harbor in Marina del Rey, mm-hmm. and I loved practicing in a sports bar because no one gives a crap about your movie, right? (laughs) What I would do is I would just practice pitching my project to 50 different people, 50 different ways until I kind of knew what certain kinds of people reacted to or didn't. I try to pitch it differently to every single person. And you want to get yourself to a place where you're not like reading a log line, where you're having a, a real conversation like you would with anybody else, but where you can actually capture someone's interest in a couple minutes, get the card, make sure you get their card, or just put them right into your phone. Yeah, this guy sent me like 10 to 20 screenplays. It was only one that I really resonated with the treatment. So I read it, I liked it, wanted to get involved. You know, we worked out like a deal. And I remember at some point I had found this guy that said, hey, you know, if Robbie Williams, uh, you know, no, it wasn't Robbie Williams. I remember it was like a British actor. If he can star in it, I'll finance the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. And we had spoke 
you know, offline first. And then I'd set up a call with the line producer, my business partner, the writer. And I just choked on the call. I was like, what the hell? I'm like, you know, I talked to this guy one-on-one. It was fine. But with everyone there, and I had been on other calls before, but I was running point. And that was probably one of the first times I was running point. And everyone could hear me choking. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, this is never happening again. And I just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And that never happened again. I don't choke on calls anymore. I'm like the guy running. This, All right, so this person is going to be on the call at this time. Boom, boom, boom. I think some of the times those stumbles or they help you because it's like, wait a sec. I never want this to happen again. I have to be fully prepped. And I went on the whim. I'm like, ah, the, the call was... Easy between me and this guy one-on-one, but I didn't feel as confident with all of my colleagues on the call running the show, you yeah. know, so I remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> One of the tricks I teach people like when they're trying to get through to a producer, mm. like a big person mm. that has a strong assistant where you can't get through is to call late, mm. right? You know, you call at eight o'clock and oftentimes the producer is still there, mm-hmm. but they've sent their assistant home. Yeah. So you'll call and they won't even know how to answer their own phone because they haven't answered their own phone since they were like 10, yeah. you know? <laughs> so they're, they're like, hello, you know, and you actually get the real person. Yeah. So my student did it mm-hmm. and she called somebody like Jerry Bruckheimer huge. It wasn't Jerry, but it was like yeah. somebody yeah. that big. And she didn't believe it was going to work. And the guy actually picked up and she did exactly what I told her. She was like, I didn't expect to talk to you. I thought I was going to talk to your assistant. So I hope I'm not interrupting, but do you have a minute? (laughs) And uh, invariably they say yes. Mm. And and that's what he said. Yeah, sure. And, and what I told her to do is, and you pitch them your script, but she was so not expecting it to work that she was not even prepared to pitch when she called. (laughs) So she, she freaked out. And instead, she, she said, can I send you a query letter? <laughs> and he said, sure. <laughs> so she ended up sending a query letter, which, of course, just ended up stuck on a desk, yeah. right? And, but it was such a great lesson, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, these things actually work. Mm-hmm. You actually can get to anybody, but you got to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And then the most important thing, like you're saying, is to follow up. And it's so amazing. We had um, Kelly Edwards, who's a big deal at HBO. She was kind enough to give a private lecture to our students. And she says at the beginning of the lecture, I'm going to give every single one of you, we had about 100 students in that room. And she said, I'm going to give every single one of you my direct email address. And none of you are going to email me. Because that's my experience is I give my email address to a lot of people who I'm actually interested in their projects and they never follow up. And she said, so I challenge you to actually email me and, you know, put in the headline where we met so that I know it's you and and give me a short, sweet email that tells me exactly why you're reaching out and exactly what you need. And I thought it was so cool of her to be honest about that, right? That, that the biggest thing getting in most people's way is actually not a lack of connections. It's fear and it's a lack of preparation or a lack of follow-up that's really needed. And so one of the questions I get all the time that I'd love to get your opinion on is, okay, so you connected with Sally Director and she's awesome. And you pitched her your project and she's like, I love it. Let's definitely get in touch. Here's my card. 
When you reach out to her, how do you do it? Do you call her? Do you email her? How long do you wait? Do you do it right away? I want to say my approach is probably not what a lot of people like doing is I call because it's all about human connection. I always prefer to meet someone face to face. And if that can't happen, then a phone call and an email can be confusing in terms of the tone. Now, if I only have the email, then I use the email or if they say they prefer me to email them, then I do what their preference is. But what I always do is do a follow up. So if it's something that's high priority, intense, then I'll follow up the next day. If it's not and it's a little bit more lax, then I'll give it anywhere from, I'd say, a few days into a week at max. That's what I'll usually do. So about a week. So when I went to Cannes, you know, I met a million people. The following week, you know, I followed up with most of them because I figured that everyone was running around and they either got back to me that same week or the following week. And then that's how we kept the conversation going. And what does that call sound like? Like, what do you say to me? I'm, I'm Sally Director and you are in love with my work and you're so nervous about calling me even though we had a good rapport and you don't usually like to use the phone. Phone and now you're, you're picking up the phone and you're giving me a call. Maybe you're talking to me directly. Maybe you're talking to my assistant. What do you say? Well, if this is the first time you're doing it or you're not used to doing it, is practice it. You know, practice makes perfect. What you're going to say, it doesn't have to be scripted, but my basis in terms of communication, I always want transparency. You know, it might be a little overkill at sometimes, but in terms of the who, what, when, where, why, and how, I try to cover all of that in a follow-up. Be as detailed as possible so I'm not wasting their time or my time so they don't come back and say, oh, I thought it was this or that, and there's no surprises. So in my conversation, I'd say, hey, Sally, this is Ramphis. We met last week at such and such festival. It was such a pleasure meeting you. We spoke about da-da-da-da-da, and you were interested in it. All right, well, now that you're interested, I'd love to send you the material for you to actually read. Okay, great. Yeah, I remember you. Boom. Okay, all right. All right, well, here's my email. Okay, well, I'm going to send it to you right now while we're on the phone. I'll have the email prepped, ready to go. And I send it. I confirm that they received it while we're on the phone. So it doesn't bounce or there's because sometimes it happens. And then you lose time and traction. And I'm all about having the momentum. The fact that it, we met last week and we're speaking on the phone now. Okay, great. I have the script. This is great. All right, I have it right here. All right, Sally. Well, I know you're really busy. You have a lot going on. When do you think you can get back to me? Like, what's your schedule like? You know, can you knock this out in a day, a week? Like, it's going to take me two weeks. All right, perfect. Well, I'm looking at my calendar. Two weeks from now is the 27th. Should I call you back on the 27th? Exactly. At that point, I've done all the work for her. I've answered any questions she would have had. She knows why I'm calling, what I'm calling about. We have a follow-up. I've given her the script, confirmed that she has it, so she can't say, I never sent it, or she doesn't have an inbox. And what may happen at some time, you know, I may follow up, and she may not have read it, and she may need more time, but at least I know I've done everything on my end for her to be successful at continuing the conversation. And it doesn't feel threatening, I'm not pushing, I'm asking her questions, but it's benefiting the both of us in solving, moving forward, on working together. Yeah, and notice what Ramphis did there, which is so good, right? First off, notice how quick it was, right? That's not a half-hour call. That's not a 10-minute call. That's a two-minute call, right? Notice that he didn't bury the lead, right? 
a lot of people, their phone call looks like this. So, how was the festival for you? Oh, cool. How was your week? Are you busy? What's the weather like? Right? Yeah. And all that does is make you feel more nervous and them feel more nervous. Mm-hmm. Ramfis got right in there and was like, bang, this is who I am. Remember me. This was a project. This is what we talked about. Because oftentimes they've forgotten what you're talking about. You're interested in it, reaffirming her interest. And right to the ask, I want you to read this. And then after he got the lead, then he got chit-chatty for a brief amount of time to give them a chance to actually connect emotionally. And then gets to the next action step, right? How specific that action step was, right? It's not like, sure, I'll call you next week. It's like, I'll call you Tuesday, January 3rd at 2 p.m. So that everything is scheduled, everything is moving forward, and everyone's taking it seriously. And when you're able to do it that quick, right? Two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. You can bang out. How many of those did you bang out the week after Khan? I contacted most of the contacts I had. I had over a hundred, maybe 200 contacts or 300 contacts. Yes. So I went through them. And so many people are afraid of rejection. And so part of this is realizing that you want to be in the volume business, not in the casting one, you know, specific hook for one specific fish business, right? Like, uh, yes, you want to be targeting the people that you think are best, but you don't want to hang all of your hopes on Martin Scorsese. Yes, try to get to Martin, but make a hundred phone. And out of those hundred phone calls, how many actually come to fruition? I want to say it's a 50-50 ratio. So the way I look at it is that, all right, well, if I meet 10 people, I follow up with all 10, out of the 10, at least five will respond. And out of the five, maybe two, something will come out of it. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, it is a numbers game. I'm not saying that, you know, go out specifically, you know, hey, I have to get 100 leads, but you do want to keep it at volume. So I do have like a team of interns and we go to events and things together. And one thing I always keep mindful is like I look at the watch and tell them, look at the watch and the time. You don't want to spend two time. There's a thousand people in the room speak to as many people as possible and that's how you build the lead generation and then it's basically the follow-up just like i said so now they follow up right uh, well let, actually let's take the more common scenario they're like great send it to me and in two weeks you follow up and they haven't read it what do you do now so did you read it? No. Okay. All right. Well, um, when do you think you can read it? What realistically in terms of your schedule, you know what? I need at least another week. And at that point we reschedule it or they may say they need another two weeks or they're in transition in a project. So they need more time. So what I'll do is I work it around their time schedule. Now, if it becomes a thing where it, which can happen where all right, you call the following week. Oh, I didn't get to it. I didn't get to it. At that point, you kind of have to put your foot down and say, hey, you know, like, I really want to do this with you. We do have a time frame. This is when we want to shoot. These are the ideas and these are the reasons why. If you're sincerely interested in it, can you read it and give them a time frame? And then they'll say yes or no. And if they say no, then you know it's not going to work out. And now you move on to the next one. If they say yes, hopefully they do it at that point and then it works out. Because the reality is in this business, things come in last minute that are priority or there's things that distract because it's not just one project that they're working on. They're answering maybe to their reps if they have representation and that's an agent and maybe a manager and legal. And then they have you know 
things, maybe panels or events they have to go to, their publicist, there's a lot of moving parts. So sometimes it can be lost in transition. And would you reach out, let's say, let's say Sally Director is your dream director and you got Sally okay. and she's interested. But Jimmy Director and Susie Director are also interested. Do you send to all of them at once? Do you wait? How do you do that? I mean, in terms of a director, if I speak to multiple people, I let everyone know about it and see their interest. If everyone's interested, it's a good problem that I have. And at that point, it's something I go back to my team and we bounce back ideas and run scenarios. And if I don't have a team, at that point, I go to other industry professionals and ask their opinion and kind of dig deeper too. One of the things that I like to do is if this filmmaker has done several movies or at least another movie before, I will call whoever they've worked with in the past and see what it was like. What was the process like? Were they easy to work with? Did they overpromise on the deliver? You know, were they pleasant? Did you enjoy the relationship? Would you work with them again? And that'll help answer, all right, wait, I have these three directors and they're all great. And then you can figure out, you know what, if he's going to be like this every time and take long, it's probably not a right fit for me. You know, then you can X this person off and, you know, like it's a waste of time. Yeah. Or this person, you know, that was super workable, talent loved working with them. And not only did they come on as a director, but in this current ecosystem environment, you have to wear that producing hat too as a director. Did they make calls and help the project get made? And did they help with the distribution of the project? Did they come to the screen? Did they do all these things that are important as well? So that'll help me figure out, out of the three, who's the best fit. I love what you're saying here, Ramphis, because so many times screenwriters think that they're the beggar right that like they're begging just anybody to care and get involved right and the truth is if you've got a great script you're not a beggar you're a chooser and part of it is recognizing your own value and taking yourself seriously and, and one of the things that i hear that you're saying you notice ramphis isn't going like oh my god i got three what am i gonna do he's going like okay i got three people interested but i gotta make sure that these people are actually worthy of my work that these people are are actually worthy of being a part of my team and actually setting the bar that high for yourself that's part of what this volume game is is that once you start to realize that you have so many people Right, So many people that you can potentially connect with who could potentially help you, who could potentially be involved. You start to realize that you're not a beggar. And the truth is, if you're talking about your script with a lot of people and you're not getting that kind of interest, you're not getting a certain number of people to go, oh, sure, I'd love to follow up with you. Oh, that sounds interesting. Then you do have to look at your pitch and you have to look at your project and you have to go, hey, is this thing actually working? Oftentimes, if you're having trouble talking about it, it's because there's actually something wrong in the execution that needs to be honed or refined or brought to the surface. So, okay, now we've got our director. They say they're interested. What happens now? Are they expecting money from you? Are they expecting promises? What, what do now, you- it depends on the level of the director. I think for the most part, if it's an indie director and to come up, you just have to be fully transparent. That's one of the things that I'd like to see a little bit more is just putting all the cards out on the table and just saying, hey, 
this is a project that I'm looking to make with you. The reality of it is that I don't have development money, but I would love for you to be a part of it. And is this something that you would bat, you know, for me? Would you be part of my team? Will you walk through the fire with me? There could be a scenario, and I, if they don't have people to report to, then they could just say, you know what? Yeah, you know, I'll do it. I'm in. And you, you explain to them that. At the same time, you don't expect them to drop a project where they're working on and they're getting paid. You know, you work together on off time. And this may take weeks, months, but you're determined, you're serious. And if they're willing to put in the blood, sweat, and tears, then it can work out. You know, a lot of times that's the case. You can't be too demanding and pushy when you're not offering anything up front. It just doesn't make sense because they still have responsibilities, they have bills. Now, if they're with a rep, What'll have to happen is that they'll have to tell their team, like, hey, this is something I really want to do. And there may be some pushback from their team. Their team may say, you know what, this doesn't make sense. Or they may say, hey, you know, I want to get behind it. Or it could be a scenario where they say, you know what, let's start working together. However, when things really start ramping up and there's some money and moving parts, then we'll bring it to my team because they'll give pushback, you know, and that's up to them. You know, that's something you can ask, but that's up to them to acknowledge. So I've been in both, you know, situations. Usually it's the latter where they say, you know what, let's circle back once there's some things in motion, then I let my team know and then we get their management and agency involved in that capacity. And do you do an LOI with them at that point? Do you write anything down or is this just a verbal conversation? This is usually a verbal conversation, but what will happen is that if my financing's pending on them, you know, being involved or attached, that's when, you know, I'll say, hey, can I have your name? And then that's when they'll have a discussion with their manager and or agent in regards to that. And then show them that this person is real, you know, that, you know, we're asking for this because this person's finance movies before or they have the capacity. They're a high net worth individual on Wall Street or they have the equity and they can prove it. And this is the reason why. And then at that point, we can work some type of deal. But I think it's really important to get some type of agreement with the talent to have on board and then you'll get the support of their representatives. But realistically, you know, you could have a person-to-person chat with the agent and just say, you know, the bottom line is, boom, I want to work with your talent, but at the same time, in a realistic market, you know, they're doing a film a year or every other year because it takes time to make a movie. If there's not people banging down their door, you can't ask for you know, $100,000 retainer or 50, because these agents last for the world, things that just, that's their job, and it look, makes them look good for their client, but when you rebuttal back to the agent with facts, you have to have these facts, and it becomes, you know, a back and forth, and then you guys get something down the middle, you know, that's usually how it works. So, now I've got $6, mm-hmm. a great script, uh, and let's pretend I don't have Martin Scorsese, I've got Sally Director. Maybe mm-hmm. she's got a short and a feature under her belt. Mm-hmm. She premiered at the Iowa Film Festival, not at Sundance, but she's brilliant. And so I got a great script, I got a strong but no-name director, or I'm directing it myself and I've shot a short or something as a prover, mm-hmm. but I got no money. I've only got talent on my part and talent on the part of my director. What do I do now? How do I start to make this feel real? How do I start to raise money? 
So one of the things that I think is very important to do as a filmmaker in the early parts is to have pieces in place. So you may not be able to write the check for a portion of the budget, but if you have, I want to say, in-kind services. So for example, if the film is, let's say, a low six-figure film, and you know you have access to certain locations for free, that is a value. You know, So this location would cost you maybe 10 grand. And let's say you can get product in it or you have access to certain product, that is another in-kind service. Or let's say your friend is an editor and they really want to transition from television to film, or they're in film and want to transition to television, or they're looking to move up the ladder, you get all these pieces together to show that it has some value and it has interest. Or let's say you can't afford a DP that is really expensive, but there's a gaffer that really wants to learn how to DP, and they're learning, and they know a little bit, and they have some skill set. You get all these commitments, and you show the value. Wait a second. They have an entire camera package, this young lady that has this G&E company has always been gaffing, but now she wants to be a DP, she'll come in with all her gear, you know, so you're saving all this stuff out of the budget. So now you have a director, you have locations, you have a DP, you have equipment, you didn't spend any money on any of these things. And now you look for a producer or production company to get involved and you paint this picture because that's what, that's what you're doing in a sense. You're, you're creating things out of thin air. And that's the nature of the beast in the game. So wait a second, you've done all this work and now you need a hundred grand to make this and you have 50,000 in kind services. Wow, this is amazing. I think maybe I can sell this to some investors or I could bring investors or we could champion it together and apply for grants or go to IFP and be able to put some of the equity that's needed to make this come to life. At that point, it looks like it's real. People are showing up, they're serious, they're vested in it. That's the way to attract a producer or production company and want to get involved because if you come there, all right, I have a director, I have a script, so does everyone else, you know? But if you come there with pieces of it, now the producer could think of out-of-the-box ways to maybe get the money or maybe they have access to some of the money and they're like, wait a second, you don't need as much because you have all these things. So it makes it more lucrative for them to want to get involved. Or let's say that you have an actor that has done some television or that means something. I'm not saying, you know, like an A-list actor, but an actor that's maybe working steadily in TV you have a piece of it, you know, for something that's smaller. Didn't make sense if you're shooting for like a hundred grand. Like, okay, so you have some talent and they're good talent. They fit the script and they're a working talent. So they're not necessarily a name in terms of distribution, but in terms of doing a smaller movie, it makes sense to hire this person and bring them on board. Okay, all right, well, I can go to friends and family or, you know, outside of the friends and family that may want to get involved because there's a lot of people that have come a long way. Maybe they're not in the film, but your producer or you and the producer can go to people that are maybe small business owners or they have a strong interest in film or the arts and they're like, wait a second, you have all these pieces together. You only need five grand. I can give you the five grand or the 10 grand and you start putting those pieces together and they add up and you build that momentum and then you have something. I love what you're saying. It's such a great place for us to be, right? Because you know, so much of what I talk about on the podcast is the spiritual side of writing. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you at the school and to be working with you is the spiritual side of producing. 
which is that this is not just a dollar and cents game, right? And it's not just a practical game. It's like you talked, it's a little bit of an act of wizardry, right? It's believing in something so much and needing something so bad that you literally do spin it out of the thin air. And one of the magical things that happens in production is that angels start to show up. And I don't mean that in a religious way. I mean, literally angels start to show up. (laughs) When you start that ball rolling, that ball of belief, and you start doing something every week that moves your project forward, that takes it one step closer to being real, suddenly you start to bump into people who want to help. Suddenly you start to see the possibilities everywhere. Well, hey, you know, this place where I buy pizza every day and talk to the owner, you know, maybe they could help with craft services. You know, this person who was in my uh, theater class when I was in high school, she's now a DP. You know, that as you start to get that ball moving, a truly magical thing happens which is that people show up that want to help you. I always talk about writing as a radical act of faith in yourself. And I think producing, fundraising, all the stuff that goes into what you do is also that radical act of belief in yourself. That in a way, as screenwriters, filmmakers, we are all entrepreneurs. The chances are, unless your last name is Scorsese, no one's banging down your door for your project that just like an entrepreneur, we have to believe in something, usually something that no one else has ever believed in. And we have to believe in it so much that we're basically willing to do it no matter what it takes. And once you get yourself to that place, and that's why it's so important to write and to make the movies that are in your heart. Because once you're in that, it's that that's going to pull you through. It's that that's going to get you all the way to the end when it seems like you don't know how you're going to make it happen. But beyond that, it's actually just a lot of hard work and some very important skills. And so I'd love, Ramphis, if you could take a few minutes to talk about the class that you're going to be teaching for us in October. There are going to be so many incredible skills. You can already see Ramphis's brilliance and the depth of his knowledge and experience when it comes to indie filmmaking. But I wonder if you could talk about how the class is going to work and what people are going to learn and all that good stuff. Absolutely. So again, the class is uh, Saturday, October 19, from 12 to 3. So people out west can chime in and people in New York can attend. It'll be online and in person and it'll be available worldwide. So the class is set up for three hours. The first hour will be myself talking about the do's and don'ts of producing a script from concept, from just having an idea, getting the script, and how to put together the financing. There's so many ways to be able to put money for a project, kind of like my path that I've taken Things that I've done that were great, things that I did that weren't great, and things that I've seen a lot of my colleagues that have done to give everyone that's either tuning in or that's there the tools so they can go out there and make their little movie, whether it's for $10,000 or it's for a million dollars. The second part of the class is I'll have some guests that will be attending that are either on the financing side or um, distribution or sales that have an array of experience with that that can share from the other side how they look at things how they work and it's interesting because i've been at the table with distributors that require certain things in place or financier that requires certain things in place while others don't need that so 
I think that's a unique conversation to be able to have that perspective because it's who you cater to. So that'll be the second part of it. And then the third part will be open discussion where anyone can ask questions that they have specifically for projects that they're going through or people in person that are here can ask these financiers or buyers or sales reps, you know, what they need to do on their end so they can get their project made. So that's the overall breakdown of what will be going on on Saturday, October 19th. You will get to meet these people who are working in this market, you know, not the people who are producing $200 million films, the people who are producing, distributing, financing these low-budget movies who are actually out there looking for content now. And I just think it's so amazing how you've built this to put people in a room where they can have the opportunity to actually hear the real deal from the real people who are doing it and get the knowledge they need to develop a plan for their own project. Well, what I would like to say, I say it every day, whether it's a compliment, a support, half the battle is just showing up. That's all it is. Right place, right time, you meet the right person. At one point in time, early in my career, yes, I was really nervous and I was unsure. I didn't know what I was doing. Even now, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. And in all fairness, a lot of the people that are the decision makers, they don't know what they're doing either. But at the end of the day, if you don't show up, how can you expect any results? The reason that all of these speaking engagements happened was because I showed up. I met someone that asked me to go speak at NYU and that worked out. And then I knew the head of South by Southwest and we had a conversation and that turned into a conversation. And when I was at Sundance, I met a gentleman and we hit it off really well. And he knew I was talking at South by Southwest and he said, hey, you should come speak at Florida and you could come speak at Cannes. These weren't plans that I had, but I said, what's the worst that can happen? I should just show up. And because of these things, there were opportunities that were created because that's what happens when you show up. There's people that are like-minded that have that interest. So it's like a radio frequency. You can't see it, but from human to human, we have frequencies that we throw out and you connect with like-minded people. So it's inevitable. But if you don't go to the festival, you don't go to the markets, you don't go to networking events, you don't put yourself out there, there's no way. And that's how you grow. That's how I've grown and how I've become even more confident is because I've jumped through the fires. And what I don't know, I still challenge myself to learn. And that's how you grow as an individual and as a filmmaker. And a lot of these executives now, that's how they've kind of grown. Like They had to do the same things. So what I know is that whenever I'm asked what's the biggest piece of advice is that the two things is showing up and following up. And that fear that you're feeling is really because there's a skill that you're missing and that that's a skill that you can learn and a skill that Ramfus can teach you. For me, that's really exciting, the, the idea that anybody can do this and that you're going to show them how to do it. I also think the idea that they're going to get to meet with the people that normally no one knows how to get to, right? They're going to get to meet with real financiers, real distribution people. They're going to get to pitch the project, their elevator pitch. They're actually going to get it heard by all those people. And they're going to learn how to make their pitch stronger 
what pitches work, what pitches don't work, really learning how to talk about all this stuff that's really a mystery for a lot of screenwriters. So I think that that's super cool. And I also like that, you know, you don't have to be a screenwriter. You can be a director. You can be a young producer. You can be an actor who wants to create their own content, that this is really valuable for anybody who's got a dream that wants to make it into a reality. So we're so excited to be offering this. If you want to learn more about it, again, it's October 19th from 12 to 3 Eastern time, but you can chime in online from anywhere in the world. Our entire classroom is mic'd for sound. We can see you and hear you and you can ask questions. And it's going to be a really incredible opportunity to learn how to do this, no matter how much experience or how little experience you have. So you can check that out on my website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash produce. And thank you, Ramphis. It was so nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a complete transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast.